you're listening to Connection Church's podcast. That always makes me want to see more. You know what I mean? It's like, what happens? What's in the box? So anyway, I'm glad you're here today. And we are in a series called Dark Corners. And in this series, we're looking at things that oftentimes get tucked away in the corners of our hearts and don't necessarily always get brought out into the open. But I believe this, I believe that God wants to reveal those things to us and I believe God wants to heal those things in us so that we can be free in Christ, so that we can walk freely from these things. So far, um, we've been looking at things like sex, we've looked at pride. This week, the hits just keep on coming. We're gonna look at our thought life, okay? And so um, everybody has one. And so uh, we're gonna talk about that and look at what that means for us. If you wanna turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter two, we're gonna start there, Ephesians chapter two, and we're gonna read the first three verses. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, it'll be on the screen. And if you don't own a Bible, we'd love to give you one. And we'd be glad to do that today after the service at our next steps table. Uh, We have Bibles we'd love to give you. So anyway, Ephesians chapter two, verse one. It says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. In other words, you were separated from the life of God is what he's saying. You, you weren't alive in Christ. You weren't alive in God. You were far from God. Um, you were spiritually dead. And he says, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time. So he's saying all of us also lived among them at one time. We all lived this way, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and its thoughts. So let's pray. God, thank you for your word for us. Thank you, God, that it's living, it's active, it's powerful. It pierces our hearts. God, I thank you that you would do that in us now. God, I pray that you would just move in a mighty way Lord, we know that, that that's what you want to do. Open our hearts that we can, can experience that today. We love you and thank you for loving us and for the grace that you've given us through Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. Amen. How many of you, and I'm pretty sure this has happened to everybody, I don't think I'm weird, but how many of you have had songs get stuck in your head before? It's like over and over, that song just will not go away. Um, it just gets stuck in your head. I thought about a couple of them for me that, that I wanted to share with you this morning. So you can thank me later when today at four o'clock, you're still singing one of these songs or humming one of these songs. But I wanted to play a couple for you real quick and see if these ever get stuck in your head. So if you can play those songs. That one's pretty bad. This one's even worse to me. Don't worry, be happy, right? And and, uh, that song, I guess, is not such a bad one to have stuck in your head, don't worry, be happy. But the thing about it is that'll get in my head. I'll I'll be singing it all day long, right? Just over and over again, it gets stuck in my head. And I thought about that in relationship to our thought life and how we think and how we respond to things. And when you look at that, oftentimes, just like those songs get stuck in our head, we get into patterns of thought or ways of thinking. And we really need to see that um, those ways of thinking, they become like ruts in our brain where we just continually think the same way over and over again. And so the reality is that our mind, it needs to be transformed. It needs to be renewed.
renewed. We need to be rewired in our mind to think differently. We, we all do. In fact, that's what this, this uh, verse in Ephesians, chapter, verse three of chapter two in Ephesians is saying, he's saying all of us lived this way. And he's saying all of us at one time gratified the cravings of our flesh and followed its desires and its thoughts. And so when we look at this, our thinking um, was in line with the way the world thinks. And what God wants for us is for us to begin to think a different way, for us to begin to live a different way, for us to be transformed by the renewing of our mind as we're gonna look at here in just a minute. But I want us, first of all, to see this, that we're all in the same boat on, in this. Um, if there was an area that I would say I'm the chief of sinners, I think this was probably it, is controlling my thought life. I think each one of us could probably say the same thing. I was thinking about different ways and patterns of thinking that are sinful that we fall into. And just to get us all on the same page, I thought about going through some of these. And so the first one, and I think a lot of times when we think about um, wrong thought patterns or th sinful thought patterns, we think about lust. We think about lusting for someone or lusting after something and it's thinking that someone or something is there for our gratification, um, especially with people. We, we, we think in that line of thinking. Another one that we oftentimes struggle with is anxiety and worry. And I realize sometimes this is a physical thing that we, we need to see a doctor about. There's a chemical imbalance, something's going on inside of us that's not spiritual. But a lot of times this is a spiritual thing. And it's thinking that either God doesn't care or that God is incapable of caring for us and taking care of our needs. And so we see anxiety and worry is oftentimes a simple thought pattern in our life. Another one that we oftentimes struggle with is bitterness. And that, that's an emotion, but it's caused by a way of thinking. And basically that line of thinking is telling us or saying to us that someone's taking something from me that is mine or that I perceive to be mine. And so we hold bitterness against that person. Another one that we often struggle with is anger. We, we get angry and many times, our, and most of the time or all the time, our anger is, is driven because of, we feel that someone has wronged us or that they are wrong and we get angry about it. Like how many of you have road rage? Any road rage people in here? You wanna admit that this morning? Good, we'll pray for you. Pray for me too, because um, I, I realize that when somebody pulls out in front of me and I have to hit the brakes and then they go 10 miles per hour under the speed limit, I get angry, right? I don't know if you do or not, but I get angry. And, and I'm not at that point thinking, okay, the reason I feel this is because I'm thinking that they have wronged me in some way. I'm just mad because I'm not getting what I want. And so that's really where anger comes from is this feeling that I've been wronged or they are wrong in some way and I need to fix this, I need to correct this. Um, so we see um, this happening. Another one is self-centeredness. It's thinking mostly of ourselves or all about ourselves. And so self-centeredness is a way of thinking. Another one that is a big one is insecurity. Because again, it's thinking that I'm not capable or I'm not good enough, even though I'm in Christ, even though Jesus has, has made me worthy, he's made me valuable in the sight of God, I'm not valuable or I'm not good enough or I'm not capable of doing the things that God put me here to do. And so I have insecurity. Another one is discontentment. It's thinking that, uh, or thinking that there's never enough or never being content with what we have. Another one is judgmentalism where we just think that we're better than somebody else. And so you see all of these things that are ways and patterns of thinking. And I want you to see those just so that we can all be on the same page and realize that this is something that affects all of us. 
All of us fall into one, probably more or more of those places that, that, that we have a, a wrong thinking, a wrong way of thinking, a wrong pattern of thinking that's in our life. And it's not hard for us to identify that. In a lot of ways, we see this. But I want you to see that all those ways of thinking and all the sinful patterns of thinking and all the wrong patterns of thinking, they all come from ungodly thinking, okay? And that sounds redundant to say, well, I'm I'm thinking uh, wrong. I've got faulty ways of thinking or I have sinful thoughts because I have ungodly thoughts. But I want you to think about ungodly being godless, where God's not in our thoughts. And so these, these thoughts that are not godly, that are ungodly, that are sinful, they come out of a place where God's not a part of our thoughts. Uh, and we lack awareness of God in our thoughts. And so if that's the problem, the answer then is what? Is to have more godly thoughts, is to think about God more, is to be more aware of God. And I'm gonna give you three areas or three places today that we need to be more aware of God. One of those is that we need to be more aware of God's grace. A second one is we need to be more aware of God's will. And the third one is we need to be more aware of God's presence. And I believe this with all my heart that our minds will be renewed, our lives will be transformed when we become more aware of those three things in our life, God's grace, God's will, and God's presence. And so um, we wanna look at those today. The very first one is, that we need to become more aware of God's grace. And I want you to see today that God's grace, that's his unmerited favor, his, his, his unconditional love, the forgiveness that he gives us through Jesus that we don't deserve. That's what we're talking about when we talk about grace. And when we come to a place where we come into a better understanding and a greater awareness of God's grace, it becomes motivation for us to be transformed. When we see what Jesus has done for us, it causes us to want to pursue him more. Uh, One thing is when we receive his grace through faith in Christ, we receive this Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit gives us a new heart, a new desire, a new core at our being that desires God more. And so we naturally are gonna begin to pursue him more. But when we look at what God's done for us and we look at the gospel and we look at the grace that God's extended to us, this unconditional love and this unmerited favor and this forgiveness that he's given us, then we begin to be motivated to transform form more, to pursue him more when we see how good he's been to us. And so I want you to look at Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, verses one and two, because I believe this speaks to what we're looking at now, what we're talking about. It says in chapter 12, verse one, it says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And there's a few things that I see in this text that I want you to see too. One of those things is that God wants our mind to be renewed. He wants us to truly have the mind of Christ, to walk in the ways of Christ. He wants us to think differently. He wants us to think in the way that he thinks. He wants us to see things the way he sees them. And so he wants our minds to be renewed. He wants us to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. What does he mean? He means he wants us to give him all of ourselves. He wants us to give him our heart. He wants us to give him our bodies. He wants us to give him our minds. All of us completely given over to him. And so that's what that means. But he tells us, 
us before he tells us any of those things that he wants our mind renewed or that he wants our, our bodies to be offered to him completely and wholly, all of ourselves offered to him. He tells us something that's really important. He says, I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. In view of God's mercy to have your minds renewed and not to conform to this world any longer, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so in view of God's mercy is how we see this. And what we need to see is that it's a view of God's mercy that gives us the motivation, that gives us the courage, that gives us the desire, that gives us the, the uh, I guess the best way to put it is motivation to pursue God when we see what God's done for us. He's saying in view of God's mercy, he says, this is your act of pro or true and proper worship. Some translations say reasonable act of worship, meaning this is just something that's reasonable for you to do. When you look at what God's done for you, it's reasonable for you to offer yourselves to him. It's reasonable not to conform to the world any longer, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so today I want you to remember God's grace. It's like Chase talked about before we took communion, how easy it is for us to forget, but there are events in our lives that, that alter things so much we should never forget them that we should remember them. And encountering God's grace and experiencing God's grace is something we have to remember. It's something we have to experience perpetually over and over again in our lives, is His grace. I told you last week about my little running experience with a buddy of mine who saw me running and thought I was dying and all that good stuff. I shared that with you last week. And this week when I went to run, I was a lot more aware of people coming by me, right? And I was like, if it kills me, I'm gonna not look foolish while I run, right? I'm just gonna try to make this, uh, you know, fake it till I make it kind of thing and try to act like everything's good. And so uh, when I was running, I was much more aware of the things going on around me. Uh, and that was all because of the event that took place when he was just messing with me about my running because surely he didn't mean that, right? And so, but, but it made me more aware of what was going on around me, what was, what was taking place. I had a greater awareness about it this week. And it's the same thing when we're more aware of the, the gospel, when we're more aware of, of what God's done for us, it begins to transform us. We become more aware of God. And we begin to have godly thoughts, thoughts that include God versus ungodly thoughts, thoughts that are void of God. And so that's really important for us to see. The second thing that I want you to look at and that I want us to see today is that we've got to find God's will. When we find God's will, it begins to transform our mind. And, and the way we find God's will is through God's word. We find God's will through his word as he speaks to us through his word. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Hebrews chapter four and this is where we'll spend the rest of our time today. But Hebrews chapter four, verse 12 says this, for the word of God is alive and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. There's some things I want you to see about God's word. In God's word, we find God's will, but God's word is different than any other book. It's not just a book, it's God's inspired word. It's the word of God. And it tells us a few things about this, that the Bible um, is alive, alive. Not that it's gonna get up and jump up and run around on your desk, right? But that it's alive and that it speaks to us. And I want you to understand that it's, it's, it's empowered by the Holy Spirit that the spirit of God has inspired these words and the spirit of God still speaks through these words. 
That we can look at the Bible as a whole and read it and God takes parts of the Bible and he begins to speak to our hearts in different ways to encourage us and to, to convict us, to do different things. But the Bible is alive. And the second thing I want you to see, it says there is that the Bible is active, meaning that the Bible does what it was created to do. It's effective, it works in our heart. It works to transform our mind, it's active, working doing what God created it to do. If you go and read the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 55 verses 10 and 11, he talks about how the rain and the snow, they don't come forth without producing what they were sent to produce. He says, in the same way, my word is not returned to me void. It doesn't return to me empty, but it accomplishes the purpose for which I sent it. And so that's what his word does is it works in our heart to transform our heart. It works in our mind to transform our mind. It's living and it's active, it's effective, it does work. Some of the things that it does, number one, is it reveals, it reveals God's will to us. It re- is it, as it's active in our life, it reveals God's will. Another thing that it does is it rebukes. It rebukes us when we're out of God's will. It, it, it brings us back into God's will. So in that, we see that the Bible begins to restore. So it reveals, it rebukes, it restores begins to heal us, it begins to shape us and mold us. He brings us back in line with his will. And the last one is that it replaces. It replaces those, those negative thoughts. It replaces the faulty way of thinking. It replaces the sinful thought pattern. We begin to think more like God thinks. We begin to see more like God sees, but we've gotta be in his word. And we can't be in his word just to check it off our to-do list, just to do it for five minutes in the morning and I've got that done and thank God it's done. But I come to the word of God, asking God to speak to my heart, asking God to give me something for me for that day and, and seeking him through it, seeking him in it so that then I'm able to experience him. It reminds me again of his grace and I experience God again and I see his will very clearly for my life as I come to his word, as I seek him out through it. I wanna tell you how one of the things that we can do through God's word and that's to take thoughts captive. The Bible teaches us to do this, to take thoughts captive and I wanna give you three things that help us in that way. The first one is that we need to stop. I know that's hard for us to do in today's world, but these things are gonna take place in the matter of a second or two. But we stop. When we begin to experience God and experience his word and we experience the Holy Spirit convicting us of things, when a thought begins to come into our mind that we realize is not of God, that's not godly, that's not um, something that, that we need to be pursuing or thinking about, then the first thing we need to do is stop that thought. And then we need to think. And when we think, we think about what does God's word say? What's he teaching me? What does it say about this? And then we pray. And then we, so we submit that thought to God. So we stop, we think, and we pray. And it happens in a matter of a couple of seconds. But when we stop and think and pray, we're able to take that thought captive. We're able to bring it into the obedience of Christ, as the scripture says, and we're able to to then, not go down that path any longer. And what begins to happen is it begins to renew our way of thinking. It begins to transform us by the renewing of our mind as we begin to think in accordance with God's will, as we begin to think the way that God thinks, as we begin to see the way that God sees, we're able to be transformed by his living word. So God's word is alive. 
God's word's active. The third thing is that God's word is piercing. It's piercing. It pierces us. The Bible says that it's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing the soul and spirit, the joints and marrow. And so when you look at that, what you are able to see is that it penetrates us to the deepest part of who we are. I've never seen anyone that the word of God was not powerful enough that, that it couldn't transform their heart. I can tell you this, I know it's true because it transformed mine. It's transforming mine. If God can transform my heart, if God can reach me where I was when he reached me, he can reach anyone. Because I was so full of pride and so arrogant and so hard-hearted that I, was, I laughed at people who believed in God. I was the guy who would go to a Bible study just to try to disrupt it. And yet God humbled me in a very real way through his word, through hearing his word preached. And God brought me to the realization that his word is alive, that his word is active and that it pierces. It pierces our hearts to the very core of our being to transform us at the core of our being. The last thing that it does is it divides. It divides. And it says here that it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And so it judges our thoughts and attitudes. It, it literally comes in and, and divides what's godly from what's ungodly. It divides what's not of God from what is of God. And it's our choice to follow what's of God. But God's word, if we open it and we read it and we allow it to do what it's created to do, it begins to speak to our heart. It begins to transform our heart. It begins to pierce us at the deepest part of our being and it begins to transform us from the inside out. So many people work so hard to try to transform themselves from the outside in. God works the opposite way. He works from the inside out. He goes to the core of our being and transforms it so that everything else begins to work out of it and what he's doing in us. And so Stop trying to pick the bad fruit off of your life and trying to make it look right for other people and let God come in and transform your heart. That's what we all need. And as he does that, as we get into his word, he begins to transform our mind. We begin to see things differently. We begin to repent of sin, which literally means to change our mind about sin. We change our mind about God. So when we came to a place of salvation, we changed our mind about who Jesus was. We began to see Jesus in a different way. And for the rest of our life, God is changing our mind so that we change our mind about the things that we pursue and we begin to pursue him. That's what our mind being transformed really is. It's a change of mind that takes place. And so we see God transforming us. The last thing is that we need to be more aware of God's presence. We need to be more aware of God's presence. In verse 13 of Hebrews chapter four, it says, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And so the author of Hebrews is writing them and he says, listen, here's the reality. Everything is, is open before God. There's nothing that's not disclosed to God. But what I find in our lives oftentimes is that the things that we think we've done in secret drive us away from God and rather than us turning to God and bringing that to him. And the reality of it is that we think we can somehow conceal it or hide it from God. And the reality is he sees it. We might be able to conceal it from somebody we know or everybody we know even. We might even be able to 
to, to make ourselves think that it's not that big a deal and some, in some ways conceal it from ourselves and hide it from our own hearts and tuck it away in a dark corner somewhere in our hearts. But the reality of it is that all things are exposed to God. All things are hidden. Nothing is hidden in all creation from his sight. And so God already knows. He already knows our thoughts. He already knows what we're gonna do. And so here's my question about that. Why are we trying to hide it? Why are we trying to keep it from him? Why don't we bring it out into the light where God can deal with it rather than tucking it away and trying to keep it from him when he already knows? But that's typically what we do. And the shame and the guilt that we have from the thoughts we have and then from the actions that those thoughts lead to, oftentimes they drive us away from God. We begin to, to follow those things or we just feel such shame and guilt. We don't feel we can come into God's presence. We don't feel we can bring those things to him. And so just like Adam and Eve, when they sinned in the garden, they ran and they hid. We try to do the same thing. We try to run and hide from God. We try to get away from God instead of bringing those thoughts, bringing those things to him, laying them at his feet and asking him once again to cleanse us and to wash us and to change our heart and to renew our mind. And so we need to, come into God's presence, but how can we do that? I mean, he already knows everything, but how, with the thoughts we have, with the thoughts I have, how can we come into God's presence? It says in verse 14, therefore, since we have a high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. We need to remember that Jesus has already won victory over sin, over death and over hell. So that the things that, that, that are, have been sin in our life can't keep us from coming to God. We repent of those things. We turn from those things, but we turn to God. And we bring those things and lay them before God's feet. To understand this verse, you have to understand a little bit about what the high priest did for the Jewish people. Back in the days of the temple worship, one of the things that the high priest did was he came in and he did the sacrifices. He would sacrifice the lamb or the goat or whatever it was for the forgiveness of sins. But see, here's the crazy thing about it. Jesus was not only the high priest, but he also became the sacrifice. He gave his life so that we could have life. As Chase said, he, he shed his blood, the blood that we should have shed, he shed it for us so that we could be forgiven. That's remembering that grace. It's not forgetting what the gospel is and what God's done for us. And so if you look at that and you see that and you understand that you see that he was the sacrifice, the great high priest became the sacrifice himself. Another thing that the high priest did was that he would go uh, once a year into the Holy of Holies, which represented the presence of God in the temple. But the Bible says that Jesus ascended into heaven. The son of God ascended into heaven. And so he went into the heavenly holy of holies. In other words, he made a way for us to come to God. He made a path for us to follow, to come to him. So he made this way for us to be able to come to God. The last thing I want you to see is that it's, the Bible says in Hebrews 1.3 is that Jesus sat down as the high priest. He sat down. Later in Hebrews, it talks about how the, the priests would have to continue to make sacrifices day after day. They were constantly making sacrifices for sin. But the Bible says that Jesus sat down. Why did he sit down? It wasn't because Jesus was tired. It's telling us that Jesus was finished. He was finished with, with sin. He was finished with death. He was finished with hell and all of its powers. He had overcome it all. He had completed it. What he came to do, he completed the mission. And so now he was sitting, interceding on our behalf 
And, and realize this, that Jesus has done everything that you need for godliness. He, he's done everything that you need to be able to come to God. Now what we do is we give him our lives. We come to him in faith, trusting in his sacrifice and, and coming to him because he says that he's our great high priest. He's the one who made this sacrifice. He's the one who's made the way into heaven. He's the one who sat down after completing his work. So now we can come to God. And he says this, he says, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. In other words, hold on tightly to faith. Don't give up on this because you have this God. Let us then hold firmly to what we believe, to what we've professed. Hold on to it and keep moving towards God. He says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. This is in verse 15. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Another thing that we need to remember as we come into God's presence, remember this is the third thing, we're coming into God's presence, is that we have a high priest, we have a God, we have a savior who's faced temptation, who's faced sin, who's faced everything that we have faced and yet was without sin. You don't have some God, some deity that's just off in the distance watching your life and not being involved. He's walked in your shoes, he's gone through what you're going through. He's been where you are. He understands what you're facing. He understands the temptations that you face. He was tempted as well. Satan tempted him in the desert. He tempted him by, by, by putting food in front of him when he hadn't eaten and or telling him to turn a stone into bread when he hadn't eaten for 40 days. He tempted him by putting all of the kingdoms of the world in front of him and saying, you can be over all of these. Just bow down and worship me. He tempted him with his own identity in God, in the Father, because every time he tempted him, he said, if you're the son of God, do this. And so he was challenging who Jesus was and his very identity in the Father. And so Jesus has been where we are. He's faced the things that we faced and Jesus overcame them. It's why the Bible says that we can take heart for Jesus has overcome the world. We can live because he's overcome the world. We can overcome, and I want you to hear this. Don't quit because of the things that you're facing. Don't quit because of the, 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 the temptations that seem to continually come to you. Don't quit because of the struggles that you may have. Run to God, continually come into his presence, continually realizing that Jesus knows what you're facing, that Jesus has been there, and that Jesus is walking with you in this. The last one says this, it says, let us then, in, in light of these things, in other words, in light of the fact that he knows everything, in light of the fact that he's the great high priest who sacrificed himself for us, in light of the fact that, that he's been and made a way for us to come to, to heaven, to come to the heavenly father, in light of these things, he says, let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So that we can receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. He says, come before God. Listen, this is typically what we think. If I can get it all right, then I can come to God. But he's telling us that we've got to come to God in order to find grace, to find the strength, to be able to do what God's called us to do to be who God's called us to be, to be renewed in mind, to be transformed in heart. We've got to come to God 
surrendering everything else and coming to him, offering ourselves as a living sacrifice, giving him all of who we are. He says, come to me and you'll find the grace to do those things. Come to me and you'll find the mercy. Mercy is basically God not giving us what we deserve. We deserve judgment. God gives us forgiveness. We deserved his wrath. God gives us peace with himself. And so we receive mercy. And the writer of Hebrews is telling us to come boldly before his throne so that we can receive these things, so that we can walk in these things, that we can be in his presence because it's in his presence that we're transformed. It's in his presence that we begin to experience the reality of who he is. Listen, God is alive and if his word is alive, shouldn't we experience him in a living way? Absolutely. But we've got to come into his presence. Remember last week we talked about how oftentimes we want his presence before we obey his command. The Bible promises that if we'll draw near to God, he'll draw near to us. But we've got to be willing to draw near. And that's what I hope for you today. That's what my prayer is for you and for me today is that we would draw near to God. That we wouldn't forget his grace. That we would be in his word and let him transform our minds as we discover his will. And then that we would walk in his presence, that we would walk in the presence of God, being more aware of him through his grace, his will, and his presence. Not forgetting what God's done for us, but remembering, letting that motivate us, drive us to our knees, to the cross, to God's presence. So we discover more about who he is. And so today, that's my heart. That's, that's what I want for you. That's what I want for this church. Is that our minds would not be consumed with the things of this world, but that we would be consumed with the love of God. That we would be consumed with his presence. That we would be consumed with his words. That we would be consumed by his grace. And that it would begin to transform our mind, rewiring our mind to think the way that God thinks. See, here's the thing. The first thing we've got to do is that we've got to have a change of mind about who God is. We've got to decide that I want what God wants for me. We've got to decide that I want to lay my life down to pursue him. Because right now there's a lot of us who won't even submit our thoughts, that won't submit our lives to him. We may believe in him and we may confess to be a Christian but are we really willing to lay those thoughts at his feet are we willing to lay our lives at his feet and say God take this from me I believe he will I know he will but it's got to be something we consistently bring to him something that we're willing to take out of the dark corners of our hearts and bring before him and so that's the challenge but I want to pray for you as well. So what I'd like to do is today, I'm going to close this out by praying. I'm going to close out with a prayer. And today, if you need prayer for something, maybe there's something you need to deal with God on, I'm going to ask you to come to the front. I'm going to ask you today, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, if you've never surrendered your life to him, then this is what we're going to do today. I'm going to be right here at the front. And if today you, you're saying, I want to know Christ as my Savior, I've never given my life to him, but I want to know him. I want a relationship with Jesus. I'm gonna ask you to come down here and see me. 
If you'll do that, we're gonna help you take your next steps of faith and we're gonna celebrate with you the fact that you've given your life to Christ, that you've been born again, that you are no longer like that Ephesian scripture that we read before, dead in transgression and sin, but you've been made alive in Christ through the power of his Holy Spirit. And so I'm gonna pray. There's something you need to deal with God on. I'm gonna ask you to get out of your seat and come here. And if you are here today and it's a day of salvation for you. And when I say amen, I'm gonna ask you to get out of your seat and as everybody else is going that way, I'm gonna ask you to come this way and you come and see me. Now let's celebrate together your new birth. You're giving your life to Christ, your salvation. So I'm gonna pray, I'm gonna ask you to respond to God the way that he prompts you to respond. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the grace you give us. Thank you, God, that you revealed your will to us. And thank you, Lord, that you invite us into your presence. Jesus, do a work in our heart. And God, transform our mind. As we press into you, I thank you that you transform our mind. I thank you, God, that you work in our lives. I thank you that your word is living and it's active. I think it penetrates to the deepest part of our being. Jesus, I, I, I thank you that you work in us. Lord, do that now. Awaken us, God. Awaken us from our complacency with you. And drive us to our knees and into your presence. We love you and thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen.